Coming to you live from Amsterdam. I'm Rusty Ryan, joined by Sean Larson. At the time of this recording, we are 12 days away from kickoff. It's so close. It's so close. I remember when it was 229 days away. It was very dark. That was a very dark time in the year. It's really the late 100s where you realize that you're like 50 days in. And you still have so far to go. Like the 50 days, you're like, all right, we must be getting close. Nope, I'm still at like 188. Yeah, like you get to you get to the point where you know last season has has come and gone, and everyone has more or less moved on from it. But you're still nowhere close to the new season. Yeah, like you know, maybe like like right after spring practices wrap up in the spring game, it's like, all right, we got to got our little sampling of football and now it disappears for you know another three months and now it's actually like like you know pulled up some stories today and it was like you know ducks opening final week of you know full practices before they go into game prep and it's like this is it oh yeah i think there's game prep right now yeah, they're because uh, we are now yeah twelve days out from the opener against Eastern Washington, and 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 of course still still no front runner on the QB battle because like Oregon's going to tell you anything, right? Yeah, great segue. Um, I I have a hot take. Drop drop the hot take. Sizzling hot take. I think Lockheed's going to win the QB battle. I have, I just have this hunch about it, and I mean, since we're all locked out of Oregon practices, and except for Rob Mosley, except for Rob Mosley or the, uh, the doing Pac-12 the crew, yeah. But if you if you try and sneak a peek, you'll get the cops called on you. Yeah, so you'll get arrested. Don't do it. Uh, talk I, I talk louder into your mic. Can you still hear me? Yeah, just talk louder. Okay. The uh, latest, I mean, the latest thing that I saw today was uh, from the registered guard, and apparently the hot takes out of camper that Vernon Adams was struggling to grasp the playbook, and Jeff Lockie is mastering it. And my thoughts were just, well, yeah, he's been around the system longer, so that's that well, seems yeah, no, yeah, fairly that was, obvious to me. That was his calling card, whereas Vernon Adams was the ceiling. Yeah. So, I mean, do I want Vernon Adams to start? Yeah, probably. That's why we brought him in. But I would not be surprised if, if Lockie took the job. Yeah, and I mean, the more I read about it, the more it sounded like Vernon Adams initiated the conversation, which really puts a totally different twist on it. Like, he wanted to come to Oregon, not Oregon wanted Vernon Adams, is what you're saying? Yeah. Like, it sounded uh, from an Ivan Maisel piece that he wrote. He talked with Vernon shortly after he was admitted to the grad school at Oregon. Uh, He was talking about how he was talking to, Vernon Adams was talking to, like, a mentor high school coach he has uh, where he grew up. Mm-hmm. And he was like, if you really want to go to the NFL or get like a coaching gig somewhere, you have to go to the FBS. And he was like, I'm going to go to Oregon. 
So he contacted Oregon. I'm sure that Oregon would... was like, yeah, sure, come. As if it was like a flyer. You only need yeah. scholarship for one year. They probably had room. Um, and she's like, yeah, we'll see. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So let me get your, your thoughts on this on this take. What if what if Oregon just went with a two QB system this year? I hate that. I hate everything about a two Q, two QB system. I'm right there I'm right there with you on that, but why why do you hate the two QB system? Um it's it's the whole if you don't have two quarterbacks you have, if you have two quarterbacks you have zero. Like, I completely agree. It's it's not a situation there are, there's one situation where I think a two QB system works, and that is when you have a pure passer and like a pure runner. Like th- yeah. that's what that's what Cal did so well last year against Oregon. They had yeah. a running QB and they had uh, Goff come in. Yeah, that that would work, and they were. I mean, in the start of that game, they were tearing us up with that oh, system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a textbook example of how you run a two-QB system. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Oregon just doesn't have that. And, you know, I, I, I think part of it, too, is I really always believe that you need a clear-cut leader under center in, in the quarterback position. And I think it's just... You know, if you don't have that perfect, those perfectly complementing QBs, which I don't think Lockie and Adams are that type of, you know, QBs who can complement each other like that, um, it's just something that is not going to work. And, you know, of course, you know, of course, Mark Helfrich was saying after camp that it's quote unquote not off the table, but I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. Nothing, nothing's ever off the table with Oregon. And he said, he said they both had their moments. There's been days where one's better than the other. They're all competing at a higher level than they have, which is the goal, and it's going to shake itself out. I mean, that's you could pretty much, you could make that generic statement right there about any, any two players on the team at any position battle. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's yeah. I think it's getting to the point where the coaching staff by this point has a good idea of where they're leaning towards. They just they don't need to name a starter until I mean, shoot, when is even the when's the deadline to quote unquote name a starter for the game? Like Saturday morning. Yeah, and even I mean, then it can change because it's just like if you have something Saturday morning, you can change your mind before kickoff. Is that likely? No, but it's possible. And this happens. This happens every time there's a quarterback battle. Is people like read into it so much on when are they naming a starter? When are they naming a starter? Uh, for all we know, maybe they've already named a starter. Maybe they already have it in their minds of who's going to be the number one guy. That would be I amazing. Mean, keeping that a secret. You think that would really be amazing? Oregon, the Oregon Ducks, the master of locking down practices. You think they even they couldn't keep a secret like that? Oh, I mean, the government can't keep a secret. <laughs> like, I remember there was, like, a case where... Was it Bay of Pigs? There was another one where... Maybe it was a different one where the government had, like, eight people in on this, like, conference. And it was, like... 
the president, the vice presidents, like the secretary of defense, like all the big wigs who would have a say on it. And it was like a guerrilla radio project for Cuba to like gain local support for the U.S. So there's eight people in on it. And like a couple days after Cuba got their hands on the plan. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. So. I mean, I I just like to think that Rob Mosley's daily practice reports just have, like, cryptic, hidden, national treasure-style clues that we have to go decipher. Maybe he starts every sentence off with a letter that spells out the starting quarterback. (laughs) Or there's, like, one thing that I remember from, uh, like, a few, like, criminal cases or whatever... Uh, someone wrote like a letter saying that they were just going to leave home but they misspelled some words intentionally and like capitalized them and if you read the capitalized mistakes it like led the the police to like who the killer was or who the kidnapper was that would be a much more fun way to name the starter rather than just saying oh yeah that's our guy like make us work for it yeah and I mean, we're not going to know a starter until probably Friday or Saturday of the Eastern Washington game, uh, but that's really not going to stop many of us from talking about it. Exactly. And they cannot. They cannot stop slinging quack. Oh no, this is a hype machine. Um, and one thing I want to echo before we move on is, like, especially with the two QB system, the reason. I mean, th- this is like something I wrote about like a few weeks ago. Um, Vernon Adams and Jeff Lockie are way more alike than they are similar or than they are different like the similarities between the two mm-hmm. are just so outweigh what the differences are like Vernon Adams has some more experience just shredding up Pac-12 defenses um, but and like one one of the big points was is that there are only so many like packages and concepts you can use in a spread offense. I mean, the biggest things are the terminology coming in and mm-hmm. the various reads and plays and audibles that you take out of it pre-snap. Like, there's only so many ways to run a zone read. There's only so many ways to run like a smash route or throw into a flood pattern so Vernon Adams has done that hundreds of times exactly so that really kind of limits what he has to pick up in terminology so maybe the biggest surprise though out of Rob Mosley's football practice reports on like Friday Fair, he just like dropped it nonchalantly. Farrell Brown caught two touchdown passes. And this is the guy who almost had his leg amputated, and now he's just hauling in touchdown passes in yeah. the camp. Yeah, and this was like October of last year that happened. I've seen video of the injury, and it just happens for... It was like a non-contact injury. It didn't make any sense watching it. Yeah. Um... Like, it, like the recovery time for ACLs is getting so quick now. Like it, Braylon I Addison, remember, 
tore his ACL in like spring, and he was back practicing in November. It wasn't all that long ago where if you went down with an ACL injury, like that was it for you. You were just done. Yeah. Not just done for the year. Like you were probably done for your career. Yeah. And now we're talking about, you know, a f- just a horrifically gruesome injury. And yeah, what was that? That, that game was in November, I think. And now we're in August, like less than a calendar year. And he's oh, it's amazing. Back. He's already back hauling in touchdown passes in camp. Like, that's... Man, medical advancements, man. It's really amazing. It's so amazing. Yeah, because I remember he, Wes Welker tore his ACL of, like, five years ago when he was at the Patriots. Um, And then even then, it was like he was out for that. He was out for a full year. And then... He came back, and it was, like, another, like, year injury. Like, it was a two-year injury that you had to come back from. Because your first year back, you were going to be struggling. And now it isn't that way anymore. Like, it's just, it's Which is, crazy. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. If 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 Pharaoh Brown can, can fully recover from that, and he puts in a big year this year... I mean, that's just going to be, like... I mean, shoot, just give, give him the SB for, like, comeback player. Comeback player, whatever, yeah. Whatever the equivalent is. It's like, oh, yeah, nonchalant. Like, you know, go from near amputation in November to, you know, team MVP next season. No big deal. He was so good, too. Like, I don't, I can't evaluate, like, how good a blocker is. I kind of can just because I played line for a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can tell if someone's good or bad. Like, he was a decent to good run blocker, but he was, like, a receiver who played tight end. He could burn linebackers. He was... Safeties were the only people who could keep up with him. And he caught, like, he was a go-to guy in the red zone. Yeah, it's just, and that's it's just amazing. Yeah, and if you have that go-to guy in the red zone where you can just, it, it's almost automatic that you can turn to him. I mean, especially with, I mean, that's just that's a that's a clutch element. You need, you just need to be. There are a lot of things you can have to be a good football team, and then there's these things you need to be a great football team, and just these little things like having that go-to guy like Pharaoh Brown can be. Is can what that that can put you over the top? Yeah, in these you know clutch situations where you just if it comes down to a game where you just need to score once more than they do. Yeah, and speaking of injuries, Thomas Tanner out for the year with a shoulder injury. So how much I, how how much of a loss do you think that is? I don't. See, here's the thing. Thomas, is he a great running back for the Ducks? Of course. Is he a, a big playmaker? Yes. Will he be missed? Yes. But is it that big of a deal in the scheme of things? No. Because Oregon is just so loaded at that running back position that, I mean, you got, you know, I think Royce Freeman was always still going to be the number one guy this year. 
and Tyner was going to be able to, you know, the nice thing about having so many, like such a, such a deep, like so much depth at running back is that you can, you can split up the carries. So you're not overloading these kids with, with too many carries in a year. And I think that's kind of an added risk now for Freeman. Like, I think they're going to have to be a little bit extra careful to not overwork him. Yeah. And not say, oh, well, you know, Tyner's out now, so you've got to pick up his workload, and we need you to run for, you know, we need you to run for. Exactly. Um, You know, whereas before you could split up that workload. So I, I think that'll be the biggest kind of. That'll be the biggest question mark on how they kind of how they balance it out, and and but I I really think I've always believed that Oregon has mastered this whole next man up mentality, um, and just with like the depth of the position, I think they're going to be totally fine without him. It still sucks, but they'll be fine. Yeah, uh, the marginal benefit or the marginal loss isn't that great compared to what it was when like Jerem if Jeremiah Johnson was to go down or like in 2007 where it was Jonathan Stewart by himself because now there's uh Tony Brooks James there's Taj Griffin who is like considered the fastest player Oregon has had in years which is a little crazy to hear because there was DeAnthony Thomas two years ago yeah, I was I was reading some stuff. Let me I want to pull up these quotes real quick. I I grabbed a couple noticed a couple quotes that I threw in the link to this morning's quack fix um, when his teammates were talking about uh, his speed and so Royce Freeman said he's never seen speed like this in his life before and quarterback Travis Johnson said that Griffin is he's his own category his own athleticism his own species his own and species his own predator species. so I mean that, and that's exactly why I think the Ducks will be fine is because when you've got guys like that that are ready to step up and you know ready to fill in the gaps where they need to be that's, that's yeah, a, I mean, same point I was making. Injury sucks, of course, but they're going to be fine. It's next man up. Yeah, and I mean, that all comes from depth and from, like, all the recruiting that Mark Helfrich has been has put in. Like, he just recruits so hard. Like, so much harder than I think any other Oregon coach has. Um, like after they beat Arizona in the Pac-12 championship game, the next day he was in Hawaii mm-hmm. trying to get a kid. And it's just Chip Kelly would not have done that. Like as great as he was as a coach, he would not have done that. I think he didn't want to do any of that stuff. So that was one of the big pluses of moving to the NFL. Yeah, exactly. um, Which is fine. Um, and he's pretty much succeeding there also, uh, despite apparently being a racist. Don't don't ask any of his former players to, you know, to leave him positive comments. But yeah, or don't look at all the players he put ahead of white players. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think even with that lineup, if you want to take like a bigger guy, there's even Benoit, who looks like he lost 20 to 30 pounds and is still pretty big. Yeah. Like, size-wise. Like, I think after watching him in the spring game, and especially the way he ran against Florida State at the end, he could get five carries a game and be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think, like, in those five carries, he'll go super hard. Maybe he works well in pass protection. Um, but that's not a huge drop-off, and that's where you get... Like SEC caliber depth, like the the like the, one of the real championship type teams come from having just an insane amount of depth. Right, like, exactly. That was the whole Seahawks thing in their win over the Broncos. They just had so much depth. The like, and the way see, I th- I think you could compare kind of the Seahawks and the Ducks in that sense, where you know these guys would step up and make these plays and you'd look at the name and you'd be like who's that yeah and they're not these like they're not always these like big name guys that like unless you follow the team day in and day out like you're not going to know who these guys are but yeah they just have like such incredible depth that anyone is ready to step up at any given time and that's what makes a team dangerous is when they have so many different ways to beat you and I mean, kind of like tying it into the whole, you know, quarterback battle, whether it be Lockie, whether it be Adams, I, I, I've always thought that the Ducks are going to be fine either way, just because of that pure depth that those guys will have all around them. You know, whether it be in the backfield or the receivers, it's just such a deep team that it'll, you know, that that kind of transition, this kind of transition you're transition year we're in at that position at the quarterback position it'll make it a little bit easier just because we have that depth okay I think quarterback depth is going to be great whoever wins because his backup is going to be baller Right. Uh, I think running back depth is unreal I think wide receiver depth is unreal I think the tight ends are uh, above average and solid depth given the drop off from uh, down the depth chart I think the offensive line depth is decent like last year there were huge problems once uh, we lost Jake Fisher when they pretty much all started just dropping like flies yeah that, that was Washington like the line against Washington State was legit terrible it was a mess, and that was why Washington Washington State had a pass rush against Oregon. Washington State had maybe the worst pass rush in the country last year, and they wrecked our offensive line that game because one yeah. player went down. Exactly. And there isn't a lot of depth there. I think the depth there is lacking. Let's talk about this, though, because I disagree with you. I don't think our defensive depth is that great. I think it is on the D-line. I think we have a solid linebacker group with not a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. And I think we, in the secondary, we have a lot of unproven talent. But I don't think like our depth there is that great. Like We're going to have Reggie Daniels as 
like our lone defensive back in the secondary. Then Springs and Cesar back playing corner. Um, who's the other? Tyree Robinson is also going to be the other safety, and I think there's one safety who's playing well, and there's like a couple freshmen who are playing well as cornerback. But if there's like another injury there, then it's going to be very problematic, I think. Right. And that's yeah. The, the defense is definitely the question mark on this team this year, and it's really. It's kind of just like as you're just going through it there, it's kind of the defense as a whole. And, you know, yeah, there's they have some some talented players, obviously, but there's a lot of just unknowns on that side. Like offense, totally fine. It's going to it's going to be Oregon Ducks offense at its best, you know, putting up 50 plus points a game. But defense, like, are we going to have to just survive shootouts all year long or like how's it going to go man I just think our third down defense last year was just such a problem like I remember being happy that it was third and four or third and five instead of third and ten like there were so many problems but I was actually reading an article by football outsiders in their football almanac and it said that first and second down defense is much more consistent year to year. But if a team has a really bad uh, third down percentage one year, they will tend to be an above average third down team the next year because they spend a lot of time prepping for it. Right, because so they know it's, a, it's an area that they need to improve. I am praying that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And... Working on, it just killed me. The three-man rush, I was charting most of the games last year uh, before I couldn't take four hours to do it every week. Um, And the effectiveness of rushing three was awful. Like, it was legit awful. Um, And in a lot of ways, it screwed over both units because the defensive line was two of the guys were getting double-teamed. Another guy like Balducci was always just by himself, and this and defensive tackles rarely get a great pass rush, especially nose tackles. And then the defensive backs had to hold for like seven to eight seconds. Like both units kind of got held up, uh, left out to dry. And the rushing four was better. Rushing five was the most efficient blitzing. Mm-hmm. Um, Rushing six was terrible. It was even worse than three. Like r- rushing six led to big plays over half the time. So I really, and it was it was really an example of the bend and don't break defense that Nick Aliotti just got skewered for for a long time. He got a lot of crap for it, but it was. He was a master at it. Like they would, they would always, you know, they were never going to win. Uh, you know, they they always gave up ton of yards. They they always let teams get into field goal range or pretty close, but they never seemed to like give up the big big plays or you know give up a whole lot of touchdowns. It was just that bend don't break facility, bend don't break mentality. And when you had a team. And you know it's and it's still the case with the Ducks. If you have a team that can score 40, 50 points a game consistently, 
you can get away with a defense that kind of you know gives up seven eight yards of play and then all of a sudden that field shortens up and everything tightens up on defense and they make those stops and hold them to hold them to field goals that works fine right um and it's typically easier to defend in the red zone because there's more players in a smaller space. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the bend and don't break is you're going to have to convert multiple third downs um, to get uh, down the field. Um, and ideally, that means that you force them into field goals more often than touchdowns. But for some reason, the defense last year wasn't able to do that. It wasn't able to win on third down. Like there were so many times where they let offenses totally, uh, they let o- offenses get away from them. They just got off the hook, and they really can't do that. Like that's what killed Oregon against Arizona. Um, that's what mm-hmm. could have kept the game closer with Ohio State. Um, I mean, that was really the biggest failure on a week-to-week basis was holding on third down. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't even like the third and threes or the third and fives. It was the third and nines and the third and twelves. Just the big plays that you shouldn't be giving up. Yeah. It was almost like, okay, it's third and twelve, so we're going to lay back and force them to make a play. More often than not, the other team made a play. Mm-hmm. It was It was just... It was just heartbreaking at times. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that the Ducks are more aggressive this year on defense, doing a lot of like fire blitzes, yeah, and just rushing think, five constantly. I think Buckner and Balducci up at that line. I think that's going to be that's going to be deadly. Um, there's a lot of holes the further you go back, but you know I think. I think Buckner is kind of going to be that that anchor of the defense this year, and um, I mean, and there's there's some other areas where there's it's promising. I mean, I think they're bringing back it's like four fifth year senior linebackers and a few defensive backs, and um, but yeah, I think if you know if you get Buckner up there making some big plays and putting a lot of pressure on quarterbacks um, that's gonna when you as we saw against Washington State last year when Marcus Mariota was sacked nine billion times and that's not actually an understatement that's the official number from the box score nine million um, this seems on the low end it that that was what I read but it, it might there might have been some some ones they missed in there um, but if you can put pressure, constant pressure on the quarterback, and if it's like a Heisman quarterback like Marcus Mariota was, you can you can blitz the best quarterback in the nation, and if you can do that, and if you can force the guy to have to throw on the run all night and get to him and kind of get in his head and you know kind of mess with his the, the mental side of the game. Um, that takes a lot of pressure off of, you know, areas where the Ducks aren't quite as experienced and have some bigger holes the further you go back. And 
Um, so yeah, so I think I think rushing, being able to put pressure on quarterbacks to take some pressure off the rest of the defense is going to be kind of a key thing that the Ducks will have to master this year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people who struggle handling the blitz, Marcus Mariota has now gone two games with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, one play, uh, yeah, so people worried about him making NFL throws should watch him hit a receiver who's surrounded by three guys as he's 17 yards of the field against the, uh, against the sideline. And then in his most recent game, he had a play-action pass and hit a guy like 20 yards downfield as he was breaking out on, on a post route. Um, but one of the things he's really, I think, struggled with at Oregon, like if there was pressure up the middle, he really didn't know what to do. And oftentimes right. he went backwards and lost a few more yards. Um, and that's been... That was really like he he made he made a step in the right direction when uh, there was pressure coming off the edge on his blind side and he ran towards the sideline and ended up hitting a tight end who was way down the field, um, hit like a thirty yard pass on the run, um, but he still struggles with pressure and he still struggles holding onto the ball in the pocket. That's how he had his right. first fumble. I think the biggest positive is that um, I didn't get a chance to watch. I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch any of his stuff yet, other than the you know occasional highlights. But um, from what I've heard, he had some you know he had some shaky moments um, with you know fumble and interception, but it sounded like he recovered pretty nicely from the early jitters and I think that's that's going to be huge for him in his rookie season is like he's going to make mistakes it's a whole different league it's just going from college football to the NFL is just such a ridiculous jump compared to other sports mm-hmm. um, that you know it, it'll be really interesting to see how he handles you know how he how he reacts when he does make because he is going to make mistakes this year he's not gonna he's not gonna throw you know 30 touchdown passes and three interceptions it's just not gonna happen um maybe that would be it amazing could, it could happen and i'm i'd be all for it you know uh but i mean it's you know with NFL NFL quarterbacks and it's just it's a whole nother level and I'll be really interested to see kind of how he handles those jitters all season long as you know because uh, I mean you know realistically speaking Titans are going to suck this year and well it's not easy when you play the when you are a QB that struggles with pressure up the middle. And then you play the Texans twice. Yeah, and you know, JJ Watt is just breathing down your neck all day long and literally running for your life. Um, and then you have Jadavian Clowney on the backside, and then you have Vince Wolferk, and then you have another defensive tackle who's solid, and Nick Fairley is a backup. Yeah, that that's the NFL for you. When Nick Fairley is a backup on that team, then 
that's pretty much all you need to know um so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he handles the jitters not only every time it happens like every time he does take a hit or get you know fumble the ball get sacked throw a pick whatever it may be but it'll be interesting to see like how he handles it as the year go, goes on and potentially and probably as the losses continue to pile up because you know what was his worst season at Oregon ever like a couple losses and a trip to the Alamo Bowl you know so and that was it, the team that kind of gave up on itself too yeah that was the team where With, like yeah I don't think that was him at all yeah so but I'm, I'm just saying it'll be interesting to see like you know people say okay he recovers well from jitters he's becoming more of a leader he's this you know he's this perfect player but what's going to happen when it's you know you're you're halfway through the season and you've already lost you know more games in one year than you did in two years of college football and you have to handle all the pressure of all the you know the criticism and everything so it's going to be really It'll be, I've never, like, I've never followed a team, um, you know, outside of the team I root for in the NFL, but it'll be really interesting to to just watch Titans games all year long and just see how he does. Oh, I'm yeah. really excited for it. The Titans might be one of those teams now that get preference in the Northwest. Because I know the Eagles do. The Eagles do because it's you know the Chip or Kelly. Eagles with Chip Kelly and his boys. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, I've got my I've got my Mariota jersey hanging in my closet, ready to go. A duck one or a Titans one? A Titans one. Ooh, big move. Yeah. Yeah, and King on Barner has returned two uh, puns for touchdowns already in a preseason. There you go. Kids kids trying to make a roster spot. And what else is there? Uh, oh, okay, let's, let's talk about the receivers real quick. Uh, one thing about the receivers. We've already established that they're pretty deep. There's an article, though, on Dwayne Stanford, who already saw the guys coming in. Like, he saw the freshman coming in and kind of, like, looked around the receiving, uh, the other receivers. And last year, he was like, I need to put a lot more work in. Otherwise, I will not be playing. Yeah. Because even now, like, Alex Ophidial, who's a freshman, is coming in, and he's killing it in practices. Like, so many playmakers. The depth is now pushing everybody as hard as they can. Like, it's great. I'm a huge fan. Big proponent of depth. Yeah. I got I got real excited when I was... Um... I was, I was chatting up with this girl last night about Ooh. Oregon football in the upcoming Ooh. year. Yeah, right? Ooh. And Making she moves. goes, she goes, yeah, yeah, lesson to all of you kids out there, not all bloggers or, you know, random creepers living at home in their mom's basement. Some of us, some of us get out and have a social life. It's pretty awesome. Some. Uh, it's not all. The elite I don't. You. You'll get there one day. <laughs> oh, one day, young grasshopper. Gosh, giggity, Sean. I'm so happy. Golly gee, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Batman. And so, you know, she, we're, we're talking about the, the Ducks upcoming season this year. And she's like, she's a, uh, 
she went to Arizona State, so you know she's trying to rag on the ducks a little bit. And what's your name? What's what's that? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh man, we're going in too deep here. But uh, no, she goes like, was, she was saying something. She's like, oh you, you know you lost some you lost some receivers and you don't have the depth that that wide receivers that like you used to. What? I was like, are you kidding me? We've got the we've got the deepest greatest receiving core in, in team history. Yeah, Phil Steele said it was the best receiving core in the country. So I'm I'm pretty excited for the receivers and um yeah, kinda kinda hoping that my my Oregon Arizona State pr- prediction for the title game pans out because that would be that would be fun then. I'm Just so, have, like, I'm so in on UCLA. I, you're all about those Bruins and that A clap. So good, minus the quarterback. So good. We'll, yeah. we'll see who. We'll see who. I, watch it. We're both just going to be horribly wrong, probably. But. Watch Colorado just pull it out. <laughs> Colorado, tur- the miraculous season. I wouldn't even be mad about that. <laughs> yeah, first first day of college football. S- Start writing up the Disney movies. Yeah. All right, let's touch, finishing note, let's touch on Michigan, Utah, and then Oregon, Michigan State, because I think about that a lot during the day. Yeah. Michigan at Utah. I saw the spread. Let me let me look this up again, because I saw the spread. It was like Las Vegas and the betters are jocking the Michigan Wolverines so hard. I think it was like it opened up at Michigan minus three, and then it's moved to Michigan minus five and a half. I'm hopping on five and a half so hard at that point. Yeah. Like, Michigan has a lot going for it. They have seven guys back on offense, six guys back on defense. Oh, most of like, they have linemen and skill positions back, and they got the quarterback transfer from Iowa. Um, and they dealt with so many injuries last year and so many turnovers. And I just, they're going to be good. Not week one good, though. Like, Utah's established. Utah's a really good team. I just, I just don't always... see a scenario, though, where they beat Utah. Especially with Lotula Lele. Yeah. On defense. And it's, in, and it's at Utah. It's at altitude. Playing at Utah is terrifying. Yeah, we know that one firsthand. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, like, you know, people are, people have just already dubbed Jim Harbaugh as a saint and savior in Ann Arbor. Oh, he will be. Yeah. He will be for sure. Um, oh, Utah's writing at minus three right now? Oh, it opened at minus three. Oh, they're now at five and a half. Oh, backwards. I I understood that incorrectly. Utah's actually favored by five and a half. Bet up from minus three. Give the give the home team home field home team with the altitude advantage. I there. think I'd still pick Utah minus five and a half. If it yeah, was it's... if it was Utah minus seven, I probably wouldn't do anything with it. Um, and then and then the last one uh, of that day, Colorado at Hawaii. 
Oh. What do you think the spread is? What what it, what do you think it opened at? Um Colorado at Hawaii. Oh man. That Guess what it what? opened at and then guess what it is now. I'm going to say Well, first off, I'm going to say that this was the I, I 10, 10 o'clock kickoff. Nice. That is. I love that. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be. The last thing I do before I go to bed is just watching the sun set over Honolulu, my favorite place in the world. Pack twelve after dark, right there. Yeah. Um, I feel like these are just two equally horrible teams. So I would. I'll. I'll say. I don't know. Opening Colorado, line. Colorado minus three. It opened at Hawaii minus two and a half. I couldn't bring myself to watch that game. That is a bad... Oh, I'm watching it. That is a bad line. You're a strong man for doing it. That is a bad line to begin with. Colorado was good... uh, Not good. They were improving from last year. Hawaii is just... They have the guy who lost uh, to Cody Kessler in the USC QB competition. Riddick? Yeah, Riddick. All right, but guess what the line is now? It opened up Hawaii minus two and a half. Um, I'm going to say, let's see here. I'm going to say like, like Hawaii by a touchdown. Colorado minus eight. Oh. That is a swing. Bold strategy, Cotton. (laughs) They must have had just money flooding in on Colorado. Um. All right, let's take a quick look. Do they have games for week two up yet? I don't think so. Not not that I can find on pregame. Remember, children, gamble responsibly. Yeah, this is for entertainment purposes only. Um, Utah, uh, Ohio State minus fourteen against Virginia Tech. Uh, now has been bet down to minus eleven. Um. Wisconsin at Alabama at a neutral site, minus 10. So, you know, whatever. Uh, we'll do our picks next week. Um, I've seen that Michigan State is like a minus 5 favorite. Which doesn't surprise me, honestly. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's look at the top AP Top 25. Ohio State, number 1. Like the first unanimous team pretty much ever. TCU, number 2. I have both of those teams making the playoffs. Alabama, number three. Uh, fine. I mean, I, I guess that's fine. Pretty much expected. Uh, Baylor at number four. How they can knock uh, Oregon for losing a quarterback and then bump up Baylor, who also lost a quarterback, it makes no sense to me. Um, Michigan State, numero... Cinco. That's fine. Uh, even though they lost pretty much all their skill players. And uh, their defensive coordinator, who basically led one of the best defenses in pretty much college football history, I think, given the players that they have, uh, now left for Pitt. But, you know, whatever. I think that's incredibly overrated. I think, I don't know. I think Pat Narduzzi did a lot of work for Michigan State. 
way more than than he's getting credit for. Number six, Auburn. I have Auburn winning the SEC and being in the playoffs. It's fair. Number seven, Oregon. I also have in the playoffs. Let's be real, but that's not objective at all. No, U- no, not at all. No, USC number eight, Georgia nine, Florida State ten. That is terrible. They lose James Winston, who's the number one overall draft pick. They had the mo- most close wins that I can't remember any team making, other than Iowa, like in 2009. And now they have a huge downgrade at quarterback. Everett Golson wasn't good at Notre Dame. And now he's supposed to, now Notre Dame's supposed to, or Florida State's supposed to be better? That doesn't make any sense. Um, especially because they're going to get run off the field by Louisville and Clemson. I'm going to enjoy that. Yeah, Notre Dame 11. Um, I think they should be late teens to early 20s. I just don't think they're good, given their past. Lou Holtz thinks they should be number one. Lou Holtz is terrible, and there's a reason why he's not (laughs) in football anymore. Uh, Clemson should be top 10. UCLA should be top 10. LSU's way too high at 14. Arizona State's probably just right at 15. Georgia Tech is a little high at 16. Ole Miss is high at 17. Arkansas is late at 18. So is Oklahoma. Wisconsin should probably be higher. Stanford at 21. I think that's about right. I think Arizona should be higher because they're at 22. I think Boise State at 23 is a joke. I think Missouri should be higher at 24. I think Tennessee should be higher at 25. There's the hot takes from the preseason poll. Yeah. The thing I the thing I noticed because I mean I, I knew I was like seven. That seems low. Like that seems like a low blow for the Ducks. The last time that the Ducks were ranked outside of the top five for the preseason poll that was back in 2010 the year before so like the season going into their national their national championships run therefore Oregon's winning it all exactly this is our year and 2010 was the last time they started the year outside the top five in the AP top 25 this was I'll give you the quick rundown here on the teams ahead of Oregon in that poll that year. It was Alabama, Ohio State, just all makes sense, big time programs. And then Boise State was three, Florida four, Texas five, TCU was six, Oklahoma seven, Nebraska eight, Iowa nine, Virginia Tech 10. It's, uh, you know, you got Maybe, maybe a hand, maybe a few of those teams that you could like say now are like, oh yeah, those are top ten teams, and then you've got teams like Florida and Texas and Iowa, and you're like, this they used to have top ten programs, and it can just kind of give you an idea on how quickly things can change in college football and how hard it is to stay consistently successful. Yeah. So a little lesson in perspective there. But yeah, I I think that it's better to be ranked. I I, I think it sucks to be the preseason number one because it's just year-long pressure to maintain it. Mm -hmm. 
and I think the sweet spot to be is like in that kind of like two to five position where you don't really have to make any drastic moves all year long like you obviously you have to keep winning to get in but like you stay in that kind of two to five area and a loss isn't going to kill you like it's going to hurt obviously but it's not it's not going to kill you whereas if you start the season down at like 10 11 12 and you lose a game when you had like climbed up to five six or seven like there just comes a point where you just can't make up any more ground and it's just you're kind of just stuck in this no man's land place so i think i'm fine with oregon at seven because there's plenty of time there's a whole season for them to climb up you know you only have to climb up hypothetically if you're you know, if you're if if we're just saying okay, those top four teams in that poll are the playoff teams, then you have a whole season to climb up three spots, and you have a game on the road against Michigan State, and you've got a game against USC, and you've got these you've got these solid matchups. There's plenty of time to make it up, so it's better to kind of just slip under the radar at the start of the year and let the teams let those top ranked teams deal with the pressure and then kind of just quietly make your move. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the more time that goes on, the more I talk myself into Oregon beating Michigan state. So, although I can rationalize pretty much anything to myself, I'm just, I'm just mentally prepping for a loss that game just so it'll be a little bit easier to swallow. Course. Of course, I'm. You're you're the optimist of this one. I'm the pessimist. It's it's got to happen. There's I am be... hoping for the best, expecting the worst. Because otherwise, if we were both optimists and Oregon lost that game, the the sling and quack episode the week after that game would just be a train wreck, just a, a depressing train wreck. But hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. season long alright well I think that'll do it for Sean and I on the this episode of Sling and Quack I'm Rusty, that's Sean I'll see you guys next week <laughs>